Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 59th program in this series. I'm presently in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and I would like to start in verse 4 in this program just to review some things. In verse 4, John chapter 11, verse 4, it says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He was speaking about Lazarus, and that this was an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed. Now, of course, resurrecting Lazarus from the dead was a big deal. But this was not the only time that Jesus resurrected someone from the dead. Jesus resurrected the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. He resurrected Jairus' daughter, and this is recorded in Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 56. It's also recorded in Matthew and in Mark. So according to the records that we have, We know that he resurrected at least two people by this point in his ministry. And so resurrecting another person is not necessarily going to provide any sense of uniqueness. This is something that he's done before. And so I personally believe that the glory of God is going to be manifested in many more ways than just the resurrection of Lazarus. And some of the things that I've been speaking about in the previous two programs are very important when it comes to the glory of God and the glorification of the Son through the miracle that is being performed, namely the relationship that our God wants to have with us and the revelation of his character and of who he is as a person and what he wants to have with us in terms of a personal relationship, that he is not going to be a God who provides people with miracles. He's not going to be a God who is accepted by people because of his usefulness, because of his utility, that the glory of God is manifested more by just the miracles that he performs It is revealed much more through the revelation of his person. And this is one of the reasons why I have put so much time into emphasizing his personal character and the interests that he has and what he really wants from you and from others who he has created and who he has allowed to dwell here on the earth that he has made. Now, in the previous program, I spent a little bit of time talking about the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. And in verse 14, he spoke plainly to them. In John chapter 11, verse 14, it says, 
Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, what did he mean by that they may believe? They had already seen Jesus resurrect people from the dead. They've already seen that. They can believe that. They can believe that he can do that. So I think it's unlikely that he was referring to that they may believe in him because he can resurrect someone from the dead. He's already done this. Could it be that he was referring to the idea that they would be going into dangerous territory? That Jesus is going to lead them into Judea, where there are a lot of people who are trying to find him so that they can capture him and perhaps have him executed, or so that they may just be able to murder him on the spot. Could he be suggesting that he wants them to believe that he's not going to die yet, that he will be able to successfully go and visit Martha and Mary, maybe even resurrect Lazarus from the dead, and to be able to get away with it, that they might be able to escape those Jews who are wanting to locate him and be a part of his arrest and perhaps his execution. Could he be suggesting that? I think it's unlikely that he would be referring to that in the context of their belief. I personally believe that he's referring to their lack of belief concerning who he is and what he really wants and what he really wants to accomplish With regards to what kind of a role is God going to have in a person's life, it's very difficult. I know it's very difficult for people to embrace the idea that he's not really interested in having a relationship with someone on the basis of his utility, of his usefulness, that he's not really interested in having a relationship with people so that he can perform miracles and have an audience, that this is just not what he's about. When Jesus expressed in verse 4 that the glory of God was going to be manifested, he didn't cause this sickness on Lazarus. He didn't do this to Lazarus so that he can have an opportunity to perform a miracle, so that he could impress people. That's not what was going on. The same thing with the man who was born blind that he healed. It was not as if God needed a blind man, and so he picked somebody out who was in the womb when he was being made in his mother's womb and he was about to be born. God did not pick this guy out and say, you know what, I'm going to need a blind man later on. And so you're just going to be it. You're going to be the one out of my sovereignty, out of my great power, out of my control over the universe. I have decided that you are going to be born blind so that I can perform a miracle and so that I can get a message to people, so that I will have an audience before people, so that they will listen to what I have to say, so that they will believe in me. I'm going to do this to you. You're it. You're the one. I've just decided that you are going to fulfill this task for me. God doesn't need to do that. He can just wait for somebody to be born blind. He can use any blind guy. 
He can use any person who was born blind. I'm confident that there were other people in Israel who were born blind during that time. He could have picked one of them. The same thing for Lazarus. He doesn't have to cause Lazarus to be sick. He can just wait. There will be a sick person. People die from being sick all the time. This is not unusual. The glory of God in this context is going to be revealed in a different way than just the performance of a miracle. The glory of God is being revealed by Jesus refusing to go until Lazarus is dead. And I believe that through his delay, he shows that he wants a personal relationship with people on an individual basis that is outside, that is different from the kind of relationship that most of the people wanted to have with him. And through this revelation of the kind of relationship that our God wants, his glory is truly manifested. Now, there is one uniqueness about this resurrection in comparison with the other two. There is a uniqueness. I will come back to that in just a few minutes. Proceeding into verse 17. In verse 17, it says, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus went to Bethany, and he didn't go all the way to the home of Lazarus. He settled in a place that was somewhat on the outskirts, and he delayed a little bit longer before going all the way there. Now, there is great significance to Lazarus being in the tomb for four days. The significance has to do with the fact that the Pharisees had a belief that a person could be resuscitated within three days after they stopped breathing and didn't have a heartbeat. The Pharisees believed that a person had three days before they were really dead, officially declared to be dead. And so for Jesus to wait this long before he intervenes, this is something that makes this particular resurrection different from the other two. In this case, Jesus is going to perform a resurrection that the Pharisees will have to acknowledge that this resurrection is definitely divine. Because of their belief concerning the opportunity for resuscitation, the opportunity for a person to come back to life. Continuing into verse 18, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. So Jesus is quite close to where the religious leaders are located. In verse 19 it says, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's verse 21. Martha makes it clear to Jesus. She hears he's coming. She goes to where he is before he can get to the house. And what does she have to say? 
she informs him that he is responsible for the death of Lazarus. In effect, that's what she says. In verse 21, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's your fault. And Martha knew that he could have been there earlier, that he just waited where he was. She knew he could have made it earlier. And this is how she greets him, by saying, in effect, this is your fault. You have failed. We sent a message to you, and we reminded you that you love us, that you loved Lazarus. We reminded you of that just in case you forgot. And we provided you with more than enough opportunity, more than enough time, to get here and heal him. You could have done that, and you did not do that. You did not fulfill our definition of what it means to love us. Remember what I explained in the previous programs concerning extortion. That this is a form of manipulation, namely, you will do what I say or I will hurt you. And here it is. This is it. Martha goes to Jesus and she officially declares to him that it's his fault. And that hurts to say that he is responsible. Why is he responsible? He's responsible because... According to her definition, he could have done something about it. And because he didn't do anything about it, well, that just means that it really is his responsibility. It really is his fault. But don't worry. Don't worry. We've got one more verse. In verse 22, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, this is the blackmail. That's what this is. You have failed. Now, you are going to do what I say, or we are going to reject you. We are going to say that God does not hear you, and he will not do anything that you ask of him. This will show that you are not of God. You have failed, but don't worry. Here is your opportunity for redemption, Jesus. This is your chance. I know, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you, so you better ask. You better do it. You failed me before, so now I've got you. You had better do it this time, or you are out of chances, and I have every reason to reject you. That's what she is communicating to Jesus in this context. So in verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, she already told him in verse 22 that God will do whatever Jesus asks. She's already told him that. 
So she is not denying that he can resurrect Lazarus right now. She's not denying that. She's leaving it open-ended because she doesn't want to officially admit that she is demanding that Jesus do something right now. She doesn't want to admit that. She's not going to be direct about her demands. And so in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She says, I know that. I think I can believe that. But if you really want me to believe, you better do it now. That's the default of what she has communicated to him in the totality of this conversation. She is giving him an opportunity to redeem himself so that she doesn't let go of this hope, of this promise that he will be resurrected at the last day. Now, I understand that this perspective that I am presenting is not common, that it is unusual for a person to suggest that Martha was being manipulative. And I want to acknowledge that there is the remote possibility that she wasn't, or that she didn't intend to. I understand that. But this is not all that happened. There is a lot more in the following verses that I'm leading up to. And so I want you to be patient with me and just recognize what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that you have to believe in what I'm saying in terms of this perspective, because there isn't enough evidence to be absolutely certain about this point of view. But I think that there is enough, enough for me to say these things with the conviction that I am expressing. I think that there is enough evidence to show that this is what's going on. In verse 25, continuing into verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, he's not addressing the resurrection of Lazarus yet. He's not speaking about Lazarus. He's speaking about the fundamental truth that he is the one who decides who is going to be resurrected and who isn't. Does she get that? Does she understand that? Does she realize that he's the one who makes these decisions? That he is the one who defines the criteria by which a person is going to be resurrected or not? He will not give in to extortion. He will not give in to blackmail. He will resurrect who he is going to resurrect when he's going to resurrect them. That's what he's going to do. Again, in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Verse 27, she does not answer his question. 
In verse 26, Jesus asked her a direct question. And in verse 27, she refused to answer the question. I want you to see that there is some conflict here. There exists some conflict that Martha is quite upset with Jesus. He did not come and do what she asked him to do. He should have been there earlier. But now he can redeem himself if he'd like. And Jesus confronts her and asks her a direct question about, does he really have the authority of resurrection? Is he the one who defines the criteria by which a person gets saved? Or is she the one who has the authority of resurrection through extortion, blackmail, or manipulation? Is she the one who defines the criteria by which a person gets resurrected? Or is he the one That is the meaning expressed in verse 27 when she refused to answer his question. Again in verse 26, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Right? Believes in me. He is the one who defines the criteria. And he's the one who decides who is going to live forever. Martha Do you believe this? And she wouldn't answer his question. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So, in verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. So, she secretly called Mary. She secretly slipped away. It's time to get away from Jesus. Oh, she was quite excited to go and see Jesus when Jesus was coming, and he was coming late, and she could go to him and say that it's your fault that Lazarus is dead, but when he confronts her with her attitude and the way that she speaks to him, she slips away, and she goes back home. That's where she goes. She leaves. She goes back home and tries to recruit an ally, in effect. This is a technique when there are conflicts, to recruit an ally. She went and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Jesus is asking for you. I went and I spoke with him, but it appears that he's not so impressed with what I had to say. And so why don't you go give it a shot? I couldn't convince him to go and resurrect Lazarus from the dead right now. Maybe you can do it. That is what is subtly communicated here in verse 28. So, in verse 29, As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. He stayed there. That's right. He waited. Come on, bring on your next person. Go recruit somebody to maybe gang up on me a little bit and get me to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. In verse 31, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, she repeats what Martha said. It's your fault, Jesus. If you had been here, he would be alive. He's dead because of you. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. What does it mean to groan in the spirit? What did this represent? This would be better translated and better understood as he was moved with indignation in the spirit. In other words, he was angry. He was angry. That was his response. And this is why. Because they did not see Jesus in the way that he wanted them to see him. They wanted a relationship with him that he was not willing to have. He wanted them to have a different kind of relationship with him. And I will explain more about this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 59th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 33. In this program, I completed the laying of the foundation for verse 33, which says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And what this really means is that he was angry. He was filled in the spirit with indignation. What they were doing made him angry. And what I explained in this program and the previous ones was that the people were relating to Jesus in the context of extortion, blackmail, and manipulation, which he was not going to give into. He will resurrect Lazarus under his own terms. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.